Hello and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from seeing Tar. Hmm. The name of the main character is Lydia Tar. And as we're told with this long introduction where she's being interviewed by, um, I think he Gopnik. Adam Gopnik. Adam Gopnik from The New Yorker on stage. She is a world-class conductor. She's an ethnomusicologist. She's done this, that, and the other. She's won an EGOT. We're given this long um, list of her achievements, which it is subtly revealed um, has been compiled by her assistant because we see her mouthing along to it, mm. which is quite a nice little thing. She apparently, although details are kept from the audience to a great degree, um, has uh, a history of sexual impropriety, possibly, mm. with students of hers or uh, members of her orchestras. And during the course of this two-and-a-half-hour film, two and, a, two and a bit more than that, we see her life, we see her work, and we see her downfall. Mm. as these and other things um, emerge. I found it, ultimately, really dissatisfying. Me too. Um, it was so long. <laughs> well, I did see you checking your watch three times. I don't want to be like completely down on the whole thing, because for a long time, I'm sitting here going, I can't believe how absorbed I am in this woman's life. Kate Blanchett plays Lydia Tarr. She's, she's incredible in it, I think. She is. Um, this, I mean, it's, it, like I say, it starts essentially with this long, long interview. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Adam Gopnik mm. is, is playing himself, and he does quite well, mm. you know, which is nice. And I'm going. This is just this is just a, a, a poncy smart interview with an intellectual conductor about music, about her history. So I I'm love. Not, I'm totally absorbed by this. Yeah, it's I love. Not it. a film, but I'm totally absorbed. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the thing because I thought I love it. It's such a fascinating conversation, and it kind of really makes you understand what a conductor does and the thoughts that go through her mind and choices and, you know, like the whole discussion about time, which is so interesting, which then kind of there's a discussion on movement, right? So it's kind of movement through time and, you know, those ways of talking about music. I thought it was fascinating. But I think we're 20 minutes into the film. What's going on? Like, what's the story? Where's the yeah. conflict? Where's the drama? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It's the character. It's all about the character. It's all about the character. And I thought at the end that this is a film that's so absorbed by the the lead actor, yeah, kind of the mm. performance and the lead actor, that it throws the story out the window. I mean, as storytelling, I think it's crap. I think, you know, you're, you're wondering what's going on in the film, what's the conflict, what's the... Yeah, like, things mm. kind of slowly unfurl. And at the end, as you say, you get this downfall, which I think is, like, not very satisfactorily depicted anyway. I'm right. not sure it's hugely believable either. Well, I, in, in elements, it's not. The the video well, that got, that is circulating on social media, which we see has been heavily edited, I don't believe for a second. Mm. The idea that someone would film in... So we, we see this long take very early on of her teaching in Juilliard, mm. and, um, and she's talking to this student who objects to Mozart, I think, on... Uh, or Bach, sorry, mm. on the basis that he sired 20 children and was a kind of a bad person and I can only listen to people of colour and that sort of thing. Um, and she, to a certain degree aggressively, um, kind of claps back at him. And then we see this come back later on as a student has filmed this and edited it to make her look much, much worse than she was. Um, 
that's the bit I don't believe. Like, I, people do film in classes and things like that all the time, and they go up online, but you don't see them edited like that. You see the, not the whole thing, you see from where they started to where they finished shooting. Well, listen, I could believe that it was edited like that, but I also, I just couldn't believe that that was the end of it, that, that would be the last of the response, mm. you know. And actually, I, I thought the film was very unclear about the sexual liaisons. Very, you know? yeah. You know, that you could see that she was obsessed with some people and other people were obsessed with her, right? And, you know, that um, she clearly had affairs outside of her marriage. And you think, well, okay, one thing is who cares, right? Like people do, right? But the accusation of sexual harassment, of driving someone to suicide... I actually, you know, thought we needed more information to make a judgment on that. Yeah. You know, kind of how guilty was she of that? Was she guilty at all? Was it, you know, kind of... Because she stopped talking to this girl, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And she knew that her assistant hadn't erased the messages Mm -hmm. and yet did nothing about it, right? And then her assistant is getting vengeance on her for not being given a job. I mean... It's a film that's very happy to leave things hanging and to assume that the um, ambiguity is 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 satisfying or is the point. It's just not... I mean, when a film... Like I, said, I didn't know anything about this film before I went into it. I knew the title and that it had Kate Blanchett and Mark Strong in it. Mark Strong's in it so little that later on when he comes back, I'm like, oh yeah, he was in this. He's but, wonderful yeah. in it though. Oh yeah, yeah, he's on the poster, but it's like, it's not a Mark Strong film. You know? No. Um, well, is there such a thing as a Mark Strong film? I think there are films with Mark Strong. Yeah, well, in okay, them. fair enough. Um, but, he's, but he's even in those films more than he's in this. Anyway, um, I knew nothing, and so uh, you know, as you said, I start off going, well, "What is this?" And and then after coming out of the film, you know, I look it up, and I see the first line is psychological drama, psychological thriller, or psychological drama on like the Wikipedia page, and that's how people are describing it. And I guess that's kind of true, but. You know, psychological dramas and psychological thrillers have more drive than this, mm. and and their plots are complete. <laughs> you know, like the symbol that you see every now and again, which she, um, which she, which she recognises and is terrified by or or, or, or repulsed by. Um, I want that. I guess I kind of get what's going on there, but I would like some explanation. The the um her um her score for Marla's mm. Fifth, which is what she's recording, was supposed to record. And which is what Mark Strong's after goes missing. Okay, it. Well, the question is, where it's not explained. Was was it the assistant? She'd been fired by then. Was it the wife who has started to take against her because she's obsessed with this new student? Mm. uh, New. Well, I think I think who done it is not of any interest to this filmmaker. Neither is the narrative tension. You know, neither, frankly, is storytelling. Or if it is, he's doing a really job of it you know um i think it's all about the it's all about the character and about her interiority because actually you also know very little of her outside of mm. you know her being an, an an orchestra conductor you know uh and a lesbian in a particular current relationship right because actually you know at the end when she goes back to the family home and you have her brother talk to her and you think well, she invented herself or whatever. Well, you know, it would have been interesting to have that earlier on or, you know, mm. at least some hint of yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so I just think it's very, very poor storytelling, frankly. Um, I think it's very poor filmmaking as well, you know. It's a film that has not replaced its lack of interest in telling 
a coherent or complete story with an interest in making it atmospheric. Mm. Or, you know what I mean? It, it is lacking in all sorts of ways. And it is... The reason to keep watching is Kate Blanchett, mm. I think. Who is mesmerising, you know... Uh, as soon as she begins to conduct, or actually just speak, or even explain something. I mean, um, and, you know, kind of maneuver herself in about four or five languages, because she speaks in Italian, in English, in French, in German, mm. right? Like, I thought that was kind of, um, you know, and, and making things understandable. I mean, whatever clarity you have from the film comes from her, <laughs> mm. you know, and not the filmmaking. Uh, I think it's a really self-indulgent film, uh, it's two hours and 40 minutes long, in which for long stretches of time, nothing happens except Kate Blanchett. <laughs> which is not nothing. I'm not minimizing that. But, you know, it's so the story's so badly told. So when she begins to be sexually interested in the cellist, right, which is, I think, as much about being sexually attracted by her talent as anything else, Right. Mm. There's so many potential ways of telling that story, of creating tension, of kind of illuminating a complex situation. So, for example, shouldn't it be of interest whether this girl is a lesbian or not and can reciprocate? Right. Mm. Kind of nothing. You know, kind of you're shown that happening at the end as like this disappointment or betrayal or. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And of course, with the suggestion that the girl has been playing up to it because, yeah, she keeps going out. A secret. Mm. But, you know, I, I just find it's kind of unbelievable that so much would happen before you even find out whether there's the slightest suspicion of a reciprocation of interest. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not even how human relations work, right? I mean, you know, before you take someone to New York for a sexual liaison, you must have had some clues that, you know... The person is interested. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could be confused. You could be misreading the cues. Yeah, could be a mistake. But there's nothing of that in the film beforehand. Like mm. nothing, right? Um, do you think the film is um, regressive or retrograde? I do. Attitudes? See, I, I, I wonder... I am questioning myself about this. I wonder whether it is regressive or whether it is about regressiveness or regression you know so that's so the scene i'm thinking about is the juilliard scene where she's talking to this um student who's a person of color and he's the guy who's objecting to bark on kind of identity grounds and and yeah we've heard enough from from white cis het composers shouldn't we broaden it out to this that, and the other and she um kind of dissects that and, and kind of takes him apart and he ends up storming out and calling her a fucking bitch i know it's a long thing it it, you know, it's, it's and so this guy is basically made out to be like the most fragile, thoughtless sort of kid. Um, is the film? I, I can't tell if the film is really saying this that like these people are brittle, and that's well, what they're like, or I, if it is about or like paradising that. No, no, I think the film is. Um, I think the film wants you on her side at that point. Yeah, you know, sympathetic to kind of honesty and openness and rigor and you know that kind of there is something about this young person who is limiting himself by narrowing choices by not wanting to know so yeah yeah, you know one of the greatest composers of all time on the basis of yeah whatever he's been told about him um but i think the film is very reactionary in that you know 
it 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 offers no grounds you know for why the position that this young man is maybe misjudging right is not also kind of necessarily uh an important one to take on mm. right so um i think the film thinks that any of those discussions are infantile and dangerous i the people involved in you know talking about it the woke people are infantile and actually the people who don't maneuver those ideas with tact and dishonesty open themselves up to their downfall which is what happens in this film and and not only are the woke people you know weak and all that but they're so craven that they will edit a video the way they do to make it look like she said things that she didn't That's right. which as i say i genuinely i think I think if you're asking the audience to believe that, that's a step too far. I just don't. Yeah, but the instantaneousness of the demonstrations against her and so on, I really, yeah. I've, I've seen that happen. That does happen, you know. Um, I mean, things in social media do take on kind of... Yeah, know, they do, once uh, they start picking up. Yeah, you know, well, they go a viral. different force. But I think the film, well, I think it's either regressive or certainly... It doesn't handle those scenes with much complexity or understanding, in my view. So um, I didn't understand the end. So where people were people in cosplay? Was she reduced yeah, to so, playing? Yeah, well, no, I understood that. Like she's that, that's that's about her downfall. So mm. she's she's had the highest height. She's had egot. She's mm. had the New Yorker. She's done the big five orchestras. I think. You know, she's in Berlin, which is where she always wanted to be. All of this. And now she's lost all that. And she's in... China. Well, it looked like China to me. East Asia somewhere. Because earlier in the film, they say that she's huge in China. Right. So I expected it to be China, where she was huge. I mean, I can't tell you that I recognise exactly what country it was, but it's in East Asia somewhere, and she's playing at a cosplay convention. And the only reason that I know the music that she's playing, conducting, is um, from a video game called Monster Hunter. Right. Is not because I play it, but because I saw it on the credits, right. <laughs> and so I knew. So I think at some point someone's going to be playing Monster Hunter or something. Turns out that it's this music at the end, mm. and she's playing to a cosplay convention. And I mean, I think the the film is the film is so snobby because it's just looking down on all that. Mm. Like I'm not a cosplay person. I'm not really a convention person. I've been to one, mm. um, and I, I didn't have a great time. <laughs> but like these people are having shitloads of fun, enjoying really powerful music. You know, that's it's it's not Bach, it's not Beethoven, and it's not all the other members of the canon that this film, you know, um, wants you to value. Um, but it is really powerful, and and the film is saying no, this is the worst. You know, she's this, look where she's fallen. Hmm. You know, um, and I'm not saying that like it's the same status as you know conducting hmm. the Berlin Philharmonic. <laughs> I'm not, the, it's clear, but the, it's 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 either about the tragedy of where she's fallen. Or it's about the comedy of where she's fallen. Mm. But either way, she, you know, it, it's it's an insult, really. Well, and also you don't have much tragedy and you don't have much comedy in this film. I think, you know, to me what symbolizes the film and the problems with the film is the credits. You know, I, I, I told you at the beginning of the film, it really annoyed me to see the credits at the beginning of the film. Yeah, so we should explain the opening of the film has all of the credits, I yes. think, minus the actors, 
all of the credits. They come up at the start. So instead of just leaving at the end, you sit through them all and there's a bit of music playing. And all in really small lettering. So you have like second boom operator and that kind of credit, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I think is all about the filmmakers. And I think good, you know, in some ways, good on you. If you want to be grateful to your cast and your crew and your thousands of producers, I understand that as a filmmaker, you get the film made because those hundreds of thousands of (laughs) hundreds or thousands of people contributed to it. Yes. But this is not about you. This is about the audience. I think, you know, the opening credits are about the audience. They're not about the filmmakers. Right. And I thought it was like so disdainful to make the audience sit through, I don't know how many titles of really small lettering with 50 people on each title. To be fair, if they were bigger lettering, think how much longer it would take. Well, you know, but it's besides the point. The audience doesn't need to know that. Yeah. Well, you know, at the beginning of the film, you know, so I thought that was sheer arrogant self-indulgence. Because um, you, you said, you know, no film does this. And I said, they used to do it in the 30s and 40s. And of course they didn't, really. No, of right? course they didn't. You know, they, they had like five people. Well, they, yeah. they had... They, had, they, they so, had about five cards, you know. Yeah, five cards. They had lots yeah. of people on those cards. And they well, had more jobs. Like, when you get opening credits these days, they tend to just be actors, director, writer, maybe. Hmm. You don't get very much. Well, in, in the old days, you did get more at the start. But not much more. You'd have the costume designer. You'd have the hairdresser in a separate card. Yeah. You know, and you'd have the editor and the producers, you know, and the main sound people, right? Yeah. But it would literally be five five or six cards that would have all of that information. But right? it's also the case that things like Best Boy, Gaffer, Second oh, AD, you didn't, you didn't get those at all. The films ended with okay. the end. Then I said, um, he's obviously been watching Gaspar Noe films, because Gaspar Noe has done this at least two times. He did it in Irreversible, and he did it in Enter the Void, and I'm not sure, can't remember. Well, in Irreversible, it made sense why it started that way. Um, The film was told backwards. But the thing is, he he made it entertaining. That too. Irreversible, you know, they, they scroll up, or scroll down, whichever one was backwards, <laughs> and then and then it all tilts and goes wonky. Um, and in Enter the Void, the opening credits to that are a fucking animated masterpiece. Mm. It's you know, here it is not trying to entertain. It's just you're sitting through it. I, I thought it was a real metaphor for all that's wrong with the film. Um, <laughs> you know, but what's right about the film is really Kate Blanchett, who I think is truly wondrous in this. You know, every time you think, oh, kind of, you know, she... She can't get any better. You recognize her or whatever. And then she does something like this, which is just kind of so exciting to watch, really. And I'm not just talking about her grand moments of leading the orchestra and so on. I mean, I think even just like explaining Bach, you feel it's riveting. right? Like, you know, I felt like kind of I was learning even from that. So I like that very much. And actually, I think it's also worth mentioning, though maybe I'm wrong about this. But it does seem to me to be one of the few mainstream films who which has a lesbian and a lesbian relationship at its center and of course Blanchett is already famous for Carol in which the lesbianism is no problem at all like it's not about being a lesbian right I mean she happens to be one right uh you know but it is about her relationship her place in the orchestra her relationships with the world her calculatedness her career building her obsessions her selfishness her love of music right the film is about kind of many things and she happens to be a lesbian right and that does affect the narrative in the sense that you know her relationship is with a woman and so on Mm. yeah but actually being a lesbian is not the drama right the film is not about 
being lesbian, but do you think it plays differently if she's straight and if the people who she's obsessing over and possibly uh, having these sexual liaisons with are young men? It's important that she's a lesbian because, you know, had it been... Well, frankly, I think, uh, in spite of Me Too, it would have been difficult to make a, a film in which it was a male as a conductor and young women yeah, in the orchestra, in which it would have been much of a problem. Likewise, if it was an older woman involved with younger men in the orchestra, I don't think you would have had a drama there. You know, they're all above the age of consent. It's not as if she's like, mm. you know. So actually, the, the only problem is that it is young women. Mm. Yeah. And, and her. Yeah. I mean, I do think if it, if it had been a male conductor with these young women, I think it wouldn't have been a problem at all. I mean, there would have been no film. There would have been no drama. Really? I the, think so. The, uh, you know, the, the, the story of an older man in a position of power taking advantage of young women. Well, you know, taking, you know the, taking advantage is, you know. Yeah, sure. That's lovely. Uh, I mean, it's already very questionable that whether Kate Blanchett is taking advantage. Yeah, absolutely, because the film you know. is burning bugger all. So, you know, I think um, the people are all, in an orchestra like that, they're all tops in their field. You know, they all have power. Um, they're all adults, right? Uh, I mean, if the, you know, if a, if a guy is making passes at someone who's 20 years younger, you know, I don't see a drama, to be honest. Well, uh, that surprises me. I think it's quite obvious there would be one. Well, for me, it isn't. Uh, and maybe it's a generational thing. I think it's very different than a Harvey Weinstein situation where, you know, he was forcing people, you know, and kind of lying and jumping on them and whatever. You know, you don't see any of that in this film. No. You know, so, you know, all there is is like sexual interest and maybe like sexual obsession. But actually, maybe from their end, you know, and I would, I mean... That's also why I think generally this kind of sexual storyline in this is just not that interesting. Yeah. I think it needs to be stronger. I think I would like, you know, maybe it just sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm a fucking idiot, but I would just like things to be explained more. I'd like things to be more concrete. I'd like the film to have a bit more courage to, to you know, and not kind of... Um, rely on ambiguity. Well, it's not ambiguity. It's it's a lack of clarity, or yeah, yeah but I think it's deliberation. And, I mean, uh, and, and to me, ambiguity is you know when the meaning is so rich that you can't quite decide on which one. Okay, well, <laughs> what I mean this by like, what know, I mean by ambiguity <laughs> is it is leaving things unclear. It's muddled, is what you, is what I think this film does. You know, it, it's muddled. It's it's not ambiguous. It's just bloody muddled. <laughs> I think it's doing that thing. It's what does what David Baldwin call it? Um, strategic ambiguity, where where you don't want the audience on either side. You want them to be able to make up their own minds. You don't want to turn people off, or whatever it might be. It, there's an element of yeah. that here. Well, um, but you've got to give people more information than this film gives you. Yeah, you know, to create. Well, then yeah, strategic ambi- ambiguity, as David Orwell describes it, he's not complimentary about it. Like he's talking about it as as a kind of a get out clause for filmmakers. Mm. They say we we we're just presenting this. We hold our hands up. We don't have a point of view. Mm. I want my filmmaker to have a point of view. Mm. You know. And just to get back to your point, I feel you know that this question of sexual intrigue of politics, of an orchestra, if, you know, if the character hadn't been a lesbian, I really think there wouldn't have been any drama. And not just because 
of the way that the different sexual liaisons are perceived in relation to gender and sexuality. But because of the fighting of all the political battles within an institution are also inflected with gender. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... I, I would like it to be smarter about music, in a way. I think you're right when you talk about, particularly that um, opening scene or early scene where she's um, being interviewed uh, by um, Mr. Gopnik, um, that you know some of the things she says are fascinating about conducting and, mm. and that sort of thing. But um, I kind of I feel like I want to understand the music better a lot mm. of the time, and I'm not a dummy about music, and I think the film does a certain amount of it. I like the moment where she, it, it, it I do quite like when she's. Um, rehearsing with the orchestra she's switching back and forth between german and english and when she switches into german you won't get subtitles for it but it's a gist that you're getting you know mm. that's what's that's what's important and she's saying something in german she's trying to explain to him how to play a note a certain mm. note and then nina hoss who is her partner and also is she first violinist violin mm. um she stands up and demonstrates to the rest of the orchestra, here's how to play it. And I get it, you know, I get mm. it. I think the film's quite smart about that. Yes. But there are points where... It's very, I think it's smart about music. I mean, and and I thought it helped me, who is, I'm very ignorant about music, uh, it really helped me understand. Yeah. You know, yes, I, I kind of finally understood what a conductor does, <laughs> you know. Um, There's a bit I, in Steve Jobs, the film Steve Jobs, um, the Danny Boyle film, mm. where... Um, he talks about speaking to an orchestra conductor. He said, what do you do? I don't understand what you do. And he goes, I play the orchestra. Mm. You go, what a great, what a great line. That's what she does. She plays the orchestra. But it's more than that because, you know, she plays the orchestra because she studied, understood the score and come up with an understanding of its intentions and its effects do to you know an in, a, a super intelligent interpretation yeah still there's something i feel is missing maybe it comes down to that feeling that i have that the film is all about the canon like i say it's all about beethoven and bach and mozart and Marla, Marla. particularly in yeah. this case and and yeah i don't think i get the impression i could be wrong i could miss something that the lydia character listens to anything else she no, must, we're, told, she... we're told we're told that she does and that she commissions scores from young people does she yeah there's that conversation i think maybe with mark strong right yeah or maybe at the beginning when you've been given her cv right. that that's one of the things that she does yeah, yeah. and i suppose she does her ethnomusicology not that you see any evidence of that it is something that is on a just a cv that's being read out mm. you know and the impression that you get at least i get i should say from watching her behavior throughout the two and a half hours plus is she's all about the canon, hmm. you know, and um, and I, anything that that young student has to say is is very easy to dismiss. Although it must be said, she's not she doesn't dismiss him from the room; he dismisses himself. But that's the film doing that. Yeah, you know, that's the film making him do that. Yeah, and, and actually, that is part of what makes the film, I think, regressive. Yeah, yeah, because you know she's very patient with him. She tries to show him. She plays for him. Yeah. yeah, and you know, so, and he poo-poo's it all. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, I—that's the film's attitude towards mm. young people, essentially. Not young people, um, but uh, the 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 woke lefty mob. It doesn't treat young people well. Actually, I hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it. But if you think about it, kind of all of the young people in the film are actually sexually obsessive. 
you know, uh, suicides, you know, that threaten your life, uh, you know, manipulative assistants who are obsessed with you and won't let you see anybody else and try to control your life through your schedule. Mm. So they're organizing your schedule, you know. And then lastly, you know, a young woman who's willing to use your interest in her, you know, to climb up the ladder, but really kind of with a sexual agenda of her own that's directed elsewhere. Mm. So I do believe that. <laughs> I mean, all the things that I could definitely believe, like people at the highest level, you know, being cutthroat to get ahead. I fucking believe that completely. Yeah, it's just that it's just that I know the film kind of lacks all the kind of energy or intrigue that, or even excitement, right? You know, because yeah. Whiplash did it all better. You know, that in itself is often so exciting to watch, like you know like in Wall Street or something, where people are cruel and vicious. and yeah. But that has its own kind of energy and appeal and, you know, kind of not that you'd necessarily want to be like that, but actually there's something in observing that when it's kind of played with a kind of energy, you know, that can be exciting to watch. This was not exciting to watch. Yeah. At the start, when the title cards, the BBFC ratings mm. card, that is, comes up, said so it's 15 rated, and it said um, sexual violence and sexual threat because it warns you before. And you we... went, great. I said, fantastic. <laughs> Can't, I'm looking forward to this, whatever it is. And then where was it? There was oh. none. It was, oh, yeah, they talked about it. You see a dream sequence where she kind of is sort of holding someone. Mm. I want but, much more than that. But I must say, what it does have to fans of Kate Blanchett that are many, it's almost like you get to see her every mood, right? Yeah. And, you know... She stands with her hair falling backward and to the side. And, like, you see her being beautiful in, like, you know, 105 different <laughs> poses. Yeah. yeah. As well as being really good. Yeah. She is kind of, you know, quite striking. The, I think the filmmaker's obsessed with her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And just seeing her face. and just you know, I mean, everything that she does in that interview scene with, uh, with Gopnik... It, you know, just these, there's one shot in particular because the scene is cut between the two of them but there's one shot in particular which lingers on her face for quite a long time I forget what she's talking about during that shot but but you see all these just little movements mm. of her face looking backward and forward or changing expression she's inhabiting that character and the, the, the very very long take which is when she's teaching Juilliard and talking to that student I mean, it's really long. It mm. must be eight or nine minutes plus. Mm. It's very, and, and there's a um, huge amount of orchestration of the camera as well, choreography. Mm. Camera's con- always moving and finding a new shot and she's moving around and I think it's really good. And then there's a point quite late on in that take where she has like this, I forget what the phrase is, but there's a three word, like complicated, dismissive phrase that she uses. I forget what it is. So mm. it's not very satisfying. But, I, but when she said it, I was like, I can't believe you're this far into this take and didn't fuck that up. Mm. You know what I mean? There's something, yeah. there's something really impressive about just yes. watching that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and what I really like about her the most, I think, the most, the bits of her performance that I enjoy the most in this are when she is kind of performing to people. Mm. You know, she's performing to those students. She's she's commandeering that room. Mm. You know, and there's, there's elements of that when she's rehearsing, although that's much more intimate. Um, certainly when she's on stage. That there's performance in that. Well, really you see, like that. you see both her, her passion, and enthusiasm, and love for the music, and actually her ability to communicate that to either the students or the orchestra. Yeah, right. And that's kind of very powerful. It's really beautiful to watch. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. She's an extremely competent, <laughs> more than competent. She's an extremely talented communicator. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you know, my feeling is if you're interested in lesbians in the cinema or in Kate Blanchett, uh, go see this. Otherwise, it's a really, really long and muddled film. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On um, social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.